Welcome to the Arlington Street Church podcast. Founded in 1729, Arlington Street continues today as a gathering place for progressive people of faith in the greater Boston area and beyond. We are located at the corner of Arlington and Boylston Streets, across from the Public Garden in Boston, Massachusetts. Please visit ASCBoston.org for more information about this historic Unitarian Universalist congregation. Arlington Street Church, gathered in love and service for justice and peace. That last COVID surge, the one that prevented us from reopening the sanctuary in September, really threw me for a loop. Assuming that we were on the edge of being able to let down our guard, imagining that we'd begin to live into a new normal, applying the best of what we'd learned to post-pandemic life, all that was washed away in an instant of skyrocketing infection rates and images from around the globe that still wake me up at night. Today, the numbers are trending down in the right direction, but we know better than to count on that trajectory. In a moment, anything, everything could change again. We are face to face with just how not in charge of our lives we really are. For those of us who like to make plans, who'd like to imagine what we might be up to on Thanksgiving, for example, this not knowing tends to be deeply unsettling. Some of us are resigned, but others of us are sad, angry, and even downright miserable. Precious a few of us feel fine. Who's fine? Actually, not knowing is not the source of unhappiness. When we're unhappy, it's because we're clinging. We're clinging to what was, grasping at what could have been, should have been, might have been. Counterintuitively, the directive for happiness is to let go of everything we can't control. Let go of almost everything, save our attitude. And in the spirit of the directives of Rumi's guest house, treat each guest honorably. They may be sent as a guide. They may be clearing you out for some new delight. We can make different choices about how to live and thrive despite the guests of these times. There's a Buddhist teaching I love called the three poisons, traditionally translated as greed, hatred, and delusion. The poisons are also called defilements, afflictions, or vexations. So dramatic. And those words are too strong. The three poisons work much more subtly than that. To be sure that I recognize them in their more subtle disguises, I call the three poisons attachment, aversion, and indifference. Attachment might be about money or possessions, identity or status, sources of selfish happiness derived from outside sources. When we're operating as if our fulfillment is dependent on what we have, we'll realize nothing will ever be enough. We'll always want more 
and never be happy. What drives attachment is the deep desire to experience permanent satisfaction, which as long as we live in human bodies is just not going to happen. Sometimes attachment might be reflected in our own particular version of a story, an explanation, something we tell ourselves about why things are the way they are. Aversion is the backside of attachment. We're repelled by whatever keeps life from being the way we want it to be, and we can feel our minds being stirred up. Aversion shows up as intolerance of other people, circumstances, or even ourselves. It might manifest as impatience, annoyance, anger, and hostility. We end up making enemies with those around us and with ourselves. And indifference is not caring. It's the loss of a sense of our all being in this together, forgetting our deep interrelatedness and interdependence, our kinship. Attachment, aversion, and indifference. We can identify the ways the three poisons show up in our lives by asking ourselves one really terrific question. What am I resisting letting go of. Ask it and keep asking it. The answers may surprise you. Maybe we're resisting letting go of stuff, whatever's in the unopened boxes we move from place to place, either literally or metaphorically. What we can't bring ourselves to throw away and what would, be, would throwing it away mean? Maybe we're resisting letting go of some self-limiting ideas about our identity. The old stories about ourselves we tell ourselves that just aren't true. Maybe we're resisting letting go of that old Lone Ranger ethos, the mistaken idea that going it alone is even possible, let alone desirable. These self-limiting beliefs, what scares us, what never seems to change, are chains in which we have mistakenly grown strangely comfortable. And whatever we're holding on to isn't the root of the problem. The problem begins with what we think about what we're holding on to. We think our stuff, our possessions maybe, but more, our opinions, our beliefs, our identities, our stuff is who makes us, is what makes us who we are. We are prisoners of our unexamined stuff. Sean Fight Oaks, who teaches on the intersections of Buddhism, trauma, and social justice rights, Though the three poisons are often interpreted as, as demons of individual psychology, greed, hatred, and delusion are impersonal, the same way ancestral trauma is impersonal. They run in families, are learned through imitation and indoctrination, are enforced at every level of our identity. Who we are in every aspect of ourselves, individual, family, community, culture, is defined by what we crave, whom we hate, and what we believe to be true. When we harm ourselves, we harm each other. And when we harm each other, we harm the earth. Connecting the challenges of the three poisons with the destruction of the planet, the Buddha said, the world is burning, burning with greed, hatred, and delusion. The Buddha also said that our true nature, 
our true nature is enlightened. We realize our enlightenment when we clearly see through the layers of attachment, aversion, and indifference. To overcome the three poisons, the first step is to notice them when they make an appearance. And then there are specific antidotes. The antidote to attachment is the practice of cultivating a spirit of generosity. Spiritual teacher Dahani Oahu said, when you're feeling the poorest, that's the time to make a gift. We can give away what we don't want. We can share what we need, starting with kindness. We can serve. The antidote to aversion is the practice of softening and opening our hearts, the practice of compassion, patience, and loving kindness, wishing everyone well, goodwill to all, including ourselves, no exceptions. And the antidote to indifference is the practice of cultivating insight, understanding, and wisdom. We are all deeply interconnected. There is no away to throw anything. I read a piece this week by psychologist David J. Cooler, whose life was changed by the decision to face the three poisons in his life. On a cold November night, he writes, a woman crouches in the rain. As I prepare dinner, I see her through the window of my third story condo. She's conspicuously alone with no umbrella. She shouldn't be there, and yet she is. Uncannily, she doesn't shield her face from the weather. I need to do something, and I want that something to be more than a single gesture of kindness. I've never fully engaged with an individual experiencing homelessness. Do I possess the necessary skills for this situation? I'm overthinking this. She requires help, and I'm available to offer it. Can I tap into Buddhism's limitless compassion? Overnight, she establishes an encampment. A shopping cart sits next to her, overflowing with clothes and odds and ends. Perched on a mountain of blankets, she talks to herself. She wears a bandana around her matted hair and layers of mismatched clothing. As I exit my building, the woman peers at me. There's no avoiding her gaze. She's eager to speak, but I keep walking. I'm still mustering the courage to approach her. The next day, I determined to help her. I practice staying with this moment, this fear, this urge to retreat. There's no awakening in playing it safe. My heart is pounding. I want to be better at extending myself. I want to practice greater compassion. Taking a deep breath, I walk up to her. She's mulling out loud about politics and a recent eviction. You live there? She points at my building. I do. I point to my window, though my finger is reluctant to do so. Will you watch over me tonight? I'm afraid. Yes, I'll watch out for you. My name is Dave. It's good to meet you. Lisa, see you tomorrow, I say, with every intention of doing so. 
And so Dave visits her day after day, privy to a host of conspiracy theories and ongoing conversation with an ex-partner who's allegedly absconded with their child and requests for a deli sub. She's suspicious of most people and doesn't like accepting food or drinks, much of which sits piled around her feet unopened. Slowly, Dave writes, Lisa begins to trust me. I feel the weight of this, a mix of compassion, worry, and frustration. Does she have enough food and water? Where are the socks I got her? One day, I bring her a pizza. Lisa, are you in there? Dave, is that you? Today, she remembers my name, and I feel a rush of joy. From a previous conversation, I know where Lisa grew up. I ask for her surname. My inquiry feels nosy, but necessary. She's someone's child. I send out Facebook messages and receive a reply from Lisa's sister. I learn that Lisa has been ill for years and homeless for long stretches of time. Her family has tried to intervene, but offer medication she isn't easy. There's always an angel when Lisa needs one, her sister says. Can I send you some money? She wants to help Lisa, and I'm deeply relieved I'm no longer alone on this journey. No, no need to send cash. At that moment, I realize how much joy I feel in helping. The next day, I tell Lisa about her sister. She's angry. She hates her sister. She believes her sister forsook her. Was I wrong to contact her family? Lisa is psychotic and unstable. She can't go to hotels. She won't go to a shelter. A local agency for the homeless says there's nothing more they can do. She spends all her time zipped into her tent, talking to no one but Dave. Dave begins to feel trapped. It's all so difficult. Why, he asks himself, am I not open to caring for her indefinitely? I'm wrestling, he says, with the limits of limitless compassion. And then the police come and tell Lisa to leave. Her encampment is unlawful, and someone is tired of the eyesore. Lisa is frantic. Dave feels sick. How can this gentle soul deserve this much punishment? He goes off to buy her a blanket, a hairbrush, stolen from her tent, she says, as well as a pizza and some sweets to soften the blow of her jolting relocation. And then she's just gone. Dave paces in his living room, glancing through the window at the empty street below. He's reeling. What happened to her? We didn't even say goodbye. Over the ensuing months, he nurses his regrets. I've lost her. I didn't achieve a fully open heart. Still, he knows he's forever changed and owes Lisa his gratitude. He feels both compassion and forgiveness for others and for himself. He understands that limitless compassion is not so much the final destination as the willingness to take the next step. And then one day, there's an email in his inbox with the subject line, Lady in the Tent. Hi, Dave. 
You saved me. Thank you for helping me. I'm a paranoid schizophrenic, and I cannot tell you what you meant to me as I was disorganized in my thoughts. When I was at the hospital, I said, did Dave call? The doctor asked, who's Dave? I said, he's my father. He brought me pizza. The Invega shot brought back my brain. I appreciate what you've done for me. Could I do something for you or give you money for the things you bought? If there's anything I can do, please let me know. Lisa. P.S. I drew hearts on the wall with Dave in them. They had to repaint the walls. P.P.S. My sister and I finally have a great relationship. See what you did? Dave Cooler concludes, tears of joy and relief stream down my face. Lisa is safe. Later, I learn that she has an apartment of her own. She knows the whereabouts of her child. Lisa has found her way out of the tent and into my heart. Beloved spiritual companions, the antidote to attachment is the practice of cultivating a spirit of generosity. The antidote to aversion is the practice of softening and opening our hearts. The antidote to indifference is the practice of cultivating insight, understanding, and wisdom. May we open our minds and hearts and hands to the possibility of limitless compassion. May we open our minds and hearts and hands to let go, to receive, to be happy, to be peaceful, and to be free. Amen. And now for our benediction, I invite you to put your hands over your heart and namaste. I bow to the divine in you. May we open our minds and hearts and hands to the possibilities of limitless compassion. May we open our minds and hearts and hands to let go, to receive, to be happy, to be peaceful and to be free. Let us keep this faith, beloveds, and pass it on. The service begins when the service ends. Bless your hearts. I love you. Amen.
please visit ASCBoston.org for more information about this historic Unitarian Universalist congregation. Arlington Street Church, gathered in love and service for justice and peace.